Blog Talk Radio. taken out of town here just uh in a little bit for a couple days so i'm not gonna not gonna be able to do a show tuesday or tomorrow so i figured i might as well do a show today and just get it on over with so it will be a little shortened i do expect john to pop on not going to i didn't really tell many people i'm not putting it on online or anything because i don't want it to go too too long if that makes sense anyway we will be talking about the show uh, on Showtime, from Showtime Boxing last night at the Armory in Minneapolis, which, you know, had a lot of good-ass action fights, right? But between, you know, the referee stoppages and not just two out of the three, um, you know, on the card, there was a really bad one. Same ref, by the way, with the Arias on the off-TV undercard. So we'll talk a little bit about that unfortunate thing. You know, that 80-72 to 72 scorecard didn't give a round to J-Rock. I'm not saying you got to have him winning, right? But you didn't give him a round? Like, what the fuck was that shit? That was bad, dude. That was bad. Um, but we'll talk about it. We'll definitely talk about it because, like I said, in the ring it was fun. But the referees and judges, unfortunately, uh, got involved. Uh, talk a little bit about that Berlanga. I didn't see the full card. Got home, stayed up late, kind of finishing stuff, was on a space. I did a, uh, a recap article for uh, Eastside Boxing and uh, The Grueling Truth um, and uh, Phil Boxing. But I uh, also was on a late-night space. That was a real fun space, too. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that for longer. Like I said, I saw that fight. Um, didn't get to see a lot of the undercard action. We'll talk about, we're going to preview the weekend clash. Jared Anderson has a new opponent, which I'm actually, opponent-wise, from what my understanding, this was going to be his next opponent anyway. Now, you know, Charles Martin was planning on a fight coming up anyway. He had a fight, you know, scheduled. Um or I don't know if it was officially his schedule, but I, but I know he was going to fight someone, and, and he ended up taking this. So 
it, it kind of depends on the shape, how good of a fight that is. But either way, Charles Martin definitely uh, very experienced. I think it's, you know, it's just a good look in general, uh, you know, going, you know, to Toledo. And I, I like that. I like that fight. That's a good fight. And then, you know, of course, we'll talk some news as well. Since we last spoke, Canelo Alvarez has signed a reported three-fight deal with the PBC. Not completely surprised. Um, You know, the multi-fight deal kind of leaves it kind of open, kind of generally, okay, well, who's who's he going to fight? But I'd assume, you know, knowing Canelo, Benavides is part of this. Benavides is part of this. Um, Now I know I'm going to get some messages saying, oh, you know, why didn't he just fight him right now? I, you know, okay, sure. I get you. That is the number one fight that everybody wants to see. But if he signed, if it is true, and his team hasn't come out and said no, and if it was more than a one-fight deal, or it was only a one-fight deal, and it's getting reported three fights, he'd probably come out. Someone would come out. Eddie, Eddie Reynoso, someone would probably come out. So um, I do believe, you know, the report of, Jamal Charlo getting the fight. I think that is going to be the fight. Um, and then we'll see, you know, if Spence is successful against Terrence Crawford, I could see that fight. He, it has been offered and that you could say that's a money fight. Indeed. You know, it is a money fight, but that's what it's all about. Especially when you're, you know, I'm not going to call it a 100% twilight of his career, but as far as being in his prime, I'd say it's the twilight of his career, you know, um, because I think he's still in his prime, but it does seem like there is a slight decline. Um, and, well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. There's other fight news. We got Bam Rodriguez and Sonny Edwards, a done deal. Um, some possible movement on AJ and Wilder as far as their, their fight opponents. Um, and then everybody slowed on, slow down on this Benavides Morel Jr. thing. It's not official. It never was. However, when David Benavides talks about, like, I don't even know where they got the news from. Well, we got it from your promoter, David. <laughs> sorry to say that. I'm not actually sorry. But come on now. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, you know, there was, what, that three-fight deal that he signed. He's already had one of the fights planned. And there was names involved. It's not like remember you can't make guarantees when you sign a contract. Just you know, multi-fight contract. You can't guarantee an opponent for the next fight. You can make a handshake deal. It can be a trust thing. You could say this is how much we'll pay you if you fight this person. But it's not. It's actually an Ali act. You know that's against the Ali act is to guarantee that you have to fight this person next. Um, and I know people will jump on that like, well, it should be. Yeah, but you got to remember the flip side. you got to remember guys that are past their prime and shouldn't be fighting anymore. Now all of a sudden they owe a fight. I mean, that's how it used to be back in the day. That's why you see legendary guys like Ali and, and Joe Lewis. And I mean, time and time we've seen these guys, and, and they owed a fight. And sometimes it was just money, and they had to do it. But um, that was that had a lot to do with boxing too. It wasn't just all, you know, the, the stereotypical oh 
athletes always blow their money. When it comes to boxing, I mean, honestly, like, we see that in business, too. You know, people lose their money and stuff like that. So um, it is the inexperience of all of a sudden being a young person, especially like a young man in this country, and you're 19 and 20 and 21, and you're getting these huge, huge checks. It's easy on the sidelines to say, well, this is what you should do. But until you have that opportunity right there, like I said, it's easier said than done. But we'll get into all this stuff here in just a moment. If this is your first time listening to the Rope Dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Rope Dope Radio. You don't have to go to Blog Talk and Rope Dope and download the show directly there. If you don't want to, you can find this here Rope Dope Radio podcast on our Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spricker, Stitcher, among several other platforms. And while you're at it, why don't you head on over to thegrillingtruth.com, Eastside Boxing, and Phil Boxing. Um, one more thing. Direct TV stream. Your TV, your way. Live sports, news, on demand, no annual contracts, no hidden fees. For a limited time, get $30 off over your first three months, starting at $64.99 plus tax for three months. Uh, start a free trial today. Also learn um, how to subscribe and join the priority wait list for a free TV from Telly. Okay, that's direct TV stream. Anyway, like I said, hopefully everybody had a good weekend. Uh, Minneapolis had a lot going on in it, not just a, a fight last night, um, which, you know, in the back rows of the floor – they were empty for a reason, probably, um, because there was a lot going on. And, it, and people from outside the city that actually want to spend the night, get a hotel and all that, um, you know, they saw the hotel prices and were like, I'm good. You know, even people from out of state, I talked to a couple of them and they're like, dude, $700, you know. Um, but, yeah, that basically uh, the Swifties were in full force back-to-back at the Vikings Stadium, which is pretty close to the Armory. Luckily, though, I actually got out of the Armory right before or as the show was ending. Um, So that actually, I was able to get out, you know, in no time. I, I, you know, so that was actually pretty helpful. And plus, it was uh, Pride Weekend, too. So yeah, it was it was pretty busy down there. So I think it did, it it still uh, you know drew over four thousand. But like I said, as far as the floor tickets and whatnot, um, you can kind of see there was a difference there. Uh, shots out to Broadway Joel. Uh, sat hit by him in press row from the balcony. We had a good ass time, you know, learning shit about each other, talking, talking boxing, watching fights. It was good shit. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's the voice of the Dominican boxing. Uh, he's got a lot of content on his YouTube page. Um, just good shit, man. So what's up, Joel? Hopefully uh, you had safe travels. I know he had to take off real early. Um, so anyway, yeah, definitely had a good night. But like I said, <laughs> I mean, two out of the three stoppages were just bullshit. Completely bullshit. And, you know, when you look at J-Rock, now, if you only had him winning two rounds, cool. That's fine. But to not even 80 to 72, 
So in eight rounds, you didn't give J-Rock a round? Like I said, I'm not saying you have to have him winning or something like that. He wasn't winning, but it was a competitive fight. It was a back and forth. A lot of it was inside, kind of old school. And don't get me wrong, you know, he did get hurt or at least buzzed multiple times in the fight. But he was able to, you know, overcome that and do his thing. So we're going to get into, you know, the fight last night and all the fights, I should say. But like I said, I kept saying to to Broadway that this is on some Midwest Minnesota nice shit. You know, there's a Minnesota, there's a saying for the, from Minnesota people that the Minnesota nice, like we're just face value nice to you, you know, whether uh, it gets deeper and people are actually nice, nice. That's a different story, different show, but, you know, boxing is not a nice, you know, sport. You don't play boxing. Definitely we're playing games last night. There's just no way around it, you know. And when you get fights, forget Minneapolis, but just the Midwest, Midwest getting fights, right? Remember for a while, Ohio was getting a lot of fights. Um, and not that they don't. They're about to get one next weekend. But when Broner was popping and whatnot, um, and I've always heard good things about uh, fights in Ohio as far as even the club shows that they're just fun as shit but um, you know when you bring networks you know like that ESPN Showtime FS1 when they were you know in the business box and even DAZN whatever it, it's it, you like it, and boxing's crooked we know it whether it's you know California Texas uh, New York, Vegas, we, we know that. But when you have inexperienced um, commissions, you know, it, it just gets a little frustrating. And the, 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 on top of it, and this is where boxing can be a mess, right, is Mark Nelson, the ref who stopped that main event, he's a very – he's a local guy, sure, you know, Minnesota. He's based here. That's great and all. But he, do, he doesn't just referee in Minnesota. You know, he's refed on a – he's a very well-known guy. He's usually pretty good, but um, I'm not saying he's a famous ref, okay? I'm just saying the guy's worked not just in Minnesota. So there's really no experience or excuse for, well, the ref wasn't experienced enough. Now, the other guy, I've definitely seen him as well, rather, you know, not just in Minnesota, but – that Arius count and just the weird – it was just weird, right, the way he decided to go with that. And then he had a bad stoppage on the undercard too. So it, it, it was just – it was weak. And, and it – like, it was a fun – like, the sure, like the the, the, um, the Lubin Arias, that was pretty one-sided, right? No doubt. But the stoppage, it just I – didn't, I didn't like it at all. Even the – the Caleb Truex, Burley Brooks scorecards. I mean, I definitely didn't agree with that one scorecard. Now, if you had Brooks winning, if you had it a draw, if you had Caleb winning, cool. I'm not going to sit there and get in some kind of big debate over who won that fight. This is bullshit. But it's just kind of weird, dude. You know what I mean? It's just kind of weird. That's all. Um so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. Like I said, that Bornea-Martinez fight was like a, a skills fest. That was a fun, bloody affair. That was a 
good fight. And that stoppage, when I first saw it, I was like, man, I don't know, dude. But, you know, I didn't get as much close-ups of the ear, <laughs> you know. We started to get video. I remember Broadway brought it up on his phone so you could see it a little bit more. That blood splatter on the camera was pretty, in a weird way, pretty cool. I got to admit, I saw the even on the um, even on the score one of the yeah on the scorecard on the score in the judges uh, scorecard thing. It had a little blood on it, but I get it, man. He's got cauliflower ear, and the shit exploded. You know, it is what it is. And you could even tell he was mad at the stoppage, but he was just hurt that he lost. But I want to see Bornea again. Um, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, just kind of breaking this thing down, you know, uh, starting with the main event. Um, I did, like I said, I, I did, um, I did think, you know, that it was, uh, it was a good fight like that. That main event had this old school vibe to it. And the way these guys were just, you know, banging it out on the inside was, I mean, it was it was impressive, dude. It was fun as hell to watch. Um, and, you know, um, it took away from a really good fight, that stoppage. It really did. And, you know, it, it, a lot of people think it probably would have happened anyway, right? Uh, Carlos would have won by stoppage. I get that. You know what I mean? I do understand that. But to me... It's still like, okay, cool, you know, fine, but that doesn't excuse it, you know. Why not just let it happen a little bit more organically? And maybe some of this stuff, and uh, I believe it was Ezra last night, shouts out to him. You know, I think he was talking about this as like, it's kind of like New York, like, you know, they had someone pass, they, they had, they've had some issues in general lately. I mean, not just lately, but the last chunk of years. Uh, and, you know, David Morrell did, you know, put punishment on someone recently. So some, some of it is that, I'm sure. But some of it is just, there's just no excuse for it, right? Um, but just kind of breaking this fight down the way I saw it, um, really real feel-out type round in the first round. I mean, real feel-out type thing, right? Um, I think it was like a left hand um, to the midsection. And by the way, Adamas, those potty shots, like several of them, you could just hear ricochet off the armory. I mean, it was off the walls, dude. That, I mean, it was so loud, right? But I thought, you know, that body work, um, he start, you know, those hooks to the body, um, his straight left hand. Just in general, I like what he was doing with his free hand. I thought it was good enough to win the first two rounds. Like I said, the first round was definitely a feel-out round, but that body shot was enough to win it. Um, then Carlos did shell up a, a little bit and not throw back, and J-Rock became a little more aggressive in that third round, especially with his right hand. Um, and so he, you know, he got back in the fight. Now even that fourth round – the next round, um, it, it did seem like Julian Williams got wobbled in that one. He was in earmuff mode on the ropes. Um, but he came back in the fifth, was pivoting really well in landing the cleaner shots. Um, and I thought he did really well in the sixth as well. 
Like that, that was the, like he was landing the better shots. Um, but I'd say there's a good chance once Carlos, you know, dug his head into basically the chest shoulder area of J-Rock and just went dug to the body, went to the body for like the last 30 seconds, 40 seconds of that round. I thought he may have stolen the round, you know, um, and just the, the ongoing body, uh, you know, work. I mean, and, and it started to, you know, once that seventh round, I think in the seventh round, started to open up shots to the head, too. Um, the eighth round was really, really competitive. I did think with the circling and the jab and just some of the cleaner work, I thought he did enough. Uh, J-Rock, um, and, and don't get me wrong, like I said, in the ninth round, it did appear that Jake Rock was hurt, and, and there was a lot of time left in that round. Now, Carlos went for the kill, and he got a little sloppy. He got a little wide. He's already kind of a wide puncher. He got wide, and he started missing shots. He, he landed some really good shots, good right hands and left hooks and all that, but he did kind of go for it and get a little wide and not land all that much in it and with 15 seconds left or whatever in the round it seemed like j-rock had recouped enough to make it out of that round and like i said mark nelson an experienced guy you know stopped the fight prematurely and i mean he had already taken punishment there were other times that you could stop that fight and i think you'd have less pushback um and is it you know the barroso fight stoppage no but we can't do that either. It wasn't as bad as that, but we can't do that. I mean, he was pivoting. He was circling like he had just gotten free and, and landed a, what was it, a jab or something. I just, it was a buzzkill. And it's like, you got to remember, like, it took away, you know, an opportunity to do something special. Maybe you never know for J-Rock. It took away Carlos's highlight real knockout potentially, you know. And obviously, you know, Everybody, the fans, everybody, in, you know, involved basically deserved a better outcome. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So, and I'll talk about what's next for both fighters. Um, you know, J-Rock looked pretty damn good, and the way he overcame some of those moments where he was buzzed and full-on hurt, because um, we had seen shades of what was going on in the ring, and you could tell he had a pretty damn good at least conditioning training camp. That's for sure because he did overcome that and still was able to win rounds after, you know. Um, but we'll talk a little bit about that once John comes on here. Um, in the co-feature, I mean, Erickson, Lubin, Luis Arias. No, he doesn't need an interpretation. <laughs> the, the dude's from Milwaukee. You know, he's from, like, not just the Midwest, but the upper Midwest. And dude's fucking saying, hey – we need it. We, we can't understand what Luis Arias is like. Dude, do you do research? I, I just couldn't believe that. But anyway, you know, that's where that count in the stoppage, a lot of people are saying the count was fast. Um, it did appear that he was getting to his feet or up on his feet around nine. There is a – now, I understand some of the pushback as far as, like, the danger of waiting till nine, Right. Um, but we see it so often where a guy is getting up at nine and he's he's able to he's able to do it. And, and in that case, 
then you know make him walk around a little bit if you're still kind of in between. Okay, he, he 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 did wait too long probably, but like I said, we see that a fair amount. Could he have gotten up at eight? You know, sure, but I don't know. I still just don't think. Like I said, if if he looked like he was wobbling or, or he couldn't walk right, he didn't have his legs underneath them. Okay, then check it out. Don't just stop it. You know, and like I said, that. That referee stopped a, a fight prematurely as well. And so, um, but either way, though, um, Lubin looked good. I mean, that rangy jab and those straight left hands, um, he was efficient. He was accurate. He was in control pretty much the whole night, you know. Um, but like I said, it goes back to having the fight end organically. You know what I mean? That That's what it goes back to. Um so, I don't know, man. It, 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 it's just one of those things, you know, that just that just irks you as a boxing fan. And maybe I'm taking it to heart more because it happened here, you know, where I live. Um, I literally sent out an apology. <laughs> but, and I understand it's not just here. But, like I said, there is a point to be had about, you know, getting more fights and events in the Midwest. And then some shit, you know, just inexperience all of a sudden ruining it. And, and, you know, the commission, they've had some shaky shit. That WBA scenario a couple summers ago, I mean, that was shaky as fuck. Like, so, it's, you know, most fighters will tell you they like, in managers and trainers and all that, they like fighting here. Now, given when it's, you know, 90 degrees colder than it was the last few days in February. Yeah, that shit's rough. But the crowd's into it. Uh, they appreciate it. A lot of times they cheer both sides. Um, but it just sucks, dude. You know, it just sucks when this shit, this shit happens, man. It, it's really, really rough. Now, the first fight, the opener, that was a skill fest, dude. I mean, between Fernando Martinez and a um, Jada Bornea, is it Jade? Jade? Um, Jade Bornea. I thought Bornea um, was the sharper of the two to start with. I thought that was pretty clear. He was, uh, you know, able to avoid the looping shots and just the overall, you know, pressure that normally Fernando Buzzsaw brings. You know what I mean? That That's usually what he does. A lot of people call him the buzzsaw. And we've seen that in recent performances. But his, his footwork was definitely on point. Uh, he was jabbing effectively. And like I said, when Martinez would make a mistake, you saw Bornea, you know, do his thing. He made him pay for it. And so he was looking really, really good. Now, as the fight wore on, you got into the fourth and the fifth, and the, that's where you saw Martinez kind of find his timing. Um, and I thought that, you know, he, he was starting to get to the body as well, started to uh, land his right hand. You know, he couldn't land his left for so long until later in the fight when he had him, you know, on the move more. But there was times where... You know, in the sixth and seventh, Bornea was the one pushing Martinez on the back foot. Um, and, and another thing, Fernando, whether it was the counting, counter punching, the movement, whatever it was, um, 
he also with Atlanta good shot it wouldn't follow up on it. He wouldn't follow up on it. So you know that was that was it was kind of like huh that's pretty telling. You know that's pretty telling. And, and I but then um, what was it the ninth round? That was a big round for Martinez, and he started to land those left hooks, those leaping left hooks, right? The short uppercuts, along with the right hand that he had been. And Bornea with the cauliflower ear, um, you know, that shit popped, you know? And he started targeting it, which I don't blame him. And it was bleeding pretty bad, like I said. You you could tell it was bleeding bad. We didn't really get a full picture of it until kind of later you know, after the fight or even a little bit during to see his ear and how bad it was. Um, we just saw all the blood, you know, coming down like on his shoulder and whatnot. But man, um, you know, that stoppage, it's still when it was live, it's like, oh, I don't know, man, you know, but at least you could say, well, he was starting to take some big punishment and his ear was getting messed up. And, you know, at least I can see that stoppage a lot more than I can the other two, you know? Um, so credit to Fernando Mar- well, credit to both of them, because I want to see both of them fight again. I thought, like I said, it was a skill fest that clo- slowly but surely Martinez, you know, closed that gap, got up close, obviously, you know, busting the ear helped, but he landed the punch, you know, that left hook. So I, um, I was impressed because, you know, he definitely, Martinez definitely had like an uneven start. He wasn't looking as good as he had. And, and Bar, you know, Bernia, he looked damn good. Like, I had seen him fight. I had also seen, like, I'd seen a full fight, and I'd seen some other highlights of him. And I liked what I saw. I was like, yeah, this could be. But when I saw him that night, I was like, whoa. Okay, wait a second, you know. Um so, yeah, at some point, would I like to see a rematch? Yeah. I'm not saying they got to go right to it, but um, I hope Bornea definitely comes back, you know. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk a little bit. I'll talk about this fight real quick. Then we'll bring John in here. Um, you know, the uh, the Truax, right, that was, I think, the main event portion of the Showtime uh, prelims. Well, they did have that swing bout that, you know, was probably going to be over, but shouldn't have been stopped. That was the same ref. That was the one I was talking about, too. Um, that was just a fun fight to watch. But like I said, I mean, a 98-91 scorecard in that fight. And like like I said, hey, Caleb Truax, you know, he's, he's a hometown dude. He went to the University of Minnesota, for Christ's sakes, right? But... I'm not saying you had to have had him winning the fight. You could have had it to draw. You could have had it for Burley. I'm, I'm not saying, oh, who should have won. But it doesn't matter. 98-91, it's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, there was a, a point deducted, right? So, like, it just, I don't know, dude. I really don't know. To me, that was a close fight. That was a close fight. And it was a fun fight. Um just a good, like, battle over over 10 rounds. Um, you know, pretty early in the fight, there was two-way action. Um, you know, I thought the short hooks and uppercuts on the inside and really in the first part of the fight favored Truax. I thought he was getting the better of the two work on the inside. 
Um, you know, to me, the third round, neither guy separated. There was good back and forth. Neither guy really separated it. I thought in the fourth round, Burley's two-punch combos where he was going to the head and body, um, along with his jab, I gave him that round, you know. Um, still, though, at that time, I felt like Truex was winning on the inside in a super highly competitive fight. Um, now, there was a moment where Truax, to me, looked hurt, and he took, like, a little beat, like a pause. And I didn't know, like, was that a headbutt or, like, what just happened? Was it a low blow? Like, what what just happened there? Um, but, you know, <laughs> he just pushed on through, continued, and actually, surprisingly, may have stole that fifth round, you know, off those uh, big um, right hands and short uppercuts. But another thing, Burley's mouthpiece came out what five or six times that that was that was kind of crazy it was like what the fuck's going on man like um and one of the times i think you could one of the rounds that came out what twice in the same round something like that it was like okay this is actually giving him a slight advantage but you could also say truax who went right to the ropes and put his arms up you know it gave him a, a minor break you know too so um but even both of them even when Brooks or Truex would be winning the round, the other guy would, would still manage to land a big shot that would snap the neck. You know, I remember Brooks, you know, in the seventh round, won the round, right? But even at the end, there was a big right hand by Truex. But I, I got to say, like, rounds eight through ten, um, I did think Burley definitely finished stronger. He was landing the cleaner punches, and Truex looked, gasped you know he looked tired but i'm not well i shouldn't say totally gassed because he was still able to do something but there's just times where you could tell he was you know holding and and i'm not ripping him for holding you know i'm saying you could just tell that there was times where he was just worn out and it was just like get me to this end of the round where you can kind of see burley finish stronger so like i said i i'm not saying i'm not just going to side with the hometown guy and and make a big and make it personal and make it a big stink right um if you had burley winning that's cool you know i just i mean that 98 91 is just that shit's ridiculous dude that shit is ridiculous um and then berlanga you know we'll talk about that i'm gonna go ahead and bring in john get his take like i said it was over four thousand what was it four thousand one hundred and like four thousand one hundred and twenty. So I mean anytime you get over four thousand there, that's a good show. Like I said, I think that how busy it was in the downtown area with the Taylor Swift back to back nights at the Viking Stadium. Um and then it was Pride Weekend too at the 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 tick like if you wanted to a lot of people come from the northern Minnesota like Duluth on Lake Superior and even like all the way north. Um and just from the outside they of the city and they like to you know spend a night in the city or the weekend or whatever and and, you know even a few weeks ago the the cheapest hotel was like six or seven hundred dollars if you were going to be close somewhat close you know within walking range or whatever to the armory and u.s bank stadium where the vikings play is is really close actually to uh the armory so 
you know, I think it could have actually done a little bit better on the floor. The floor seats were the key. key. You could tell the walk-up. They had a pretty strong walk-up, I assume, because the, the standing room only tickets were definitely uh, the hot item. That's for sure. But overall, like I said, the audience during the fight got a really fun – it's exactly what we kind of thought it was on paper as far as the matchmaking was the old saying of the TV fight. And that gets kind of lost. I got, I got some comments on that, a TV fight, they let most of the shit streamed. What I mean by that is if you're going to have a main event or whatever, something on, the, on a triple header, right, that everybody's going to see the triple header um, or double header, whatever, not the full five-hour card, you, if the matchups aren't going to be like, you know, uh, the, where the underdog's like plus 200 and down or something like that, I think I saw like plus 350, plus 390 to close last night for J-Rock. That was like the closest one. Or actually, no, um, maybe Bornea was a little closer. But my point is none of them were under plus 200. You know what I mean? Uh, so, and, and we have a lot of those. You know, if if you keep track of this stuff, main events and co-features and that type of on the top part of the bill have a lot of mismatches when it comes to betting, right? Um, but the matchmaking part of it is the styles, right, of course, where it's just going to be entertaining. And just being in there, having the quote-unquote A-side in there with at least an established guy where you know what that or gal, where you would know what that boxer is going to bring to the ring, and it's going to, there's just enough built up, you know, pedigree, you know, that each, the person's shown in the ring, or like a Bornea, where you're just like, dude, this is, this guy's good, you know, um, where it's just going to be an, it's going to be fun, it's going to be competitive, and sometimes it's competitive within the rounds, you know, kind of like that, uh, Ioka Franco. Now, the scorecards, clear as day. Well, the scorecards were probably actually not. It was probably like a 9-3-10-2 fight from what I saw. But, you know, it's, it's, the, it's how you get to the end version. A TV fight is entertainment and competitiveness within the round. So you're like, hey, I had a good night. I, had a, I was entertained. I got my money's worth. And that's what I mean uh, for the newer generation, what a TV fight is. And that's a key thing for matchmaking um, because, like I said, you're not going to always have, you know, not just top five versus top five, but top ten versus top ten. Now, we've gotten a lot of them this year, but overall you're just not going to – not every fight you're going to go out there and fight a top-level guy. You hope, though, matchmaking-wise – I mean, beyond having a late replacement or something like that, sometimes that runs into it, but – and it kind of ruins it or whatever. Sometimes it works out better, but that's what I mean by a TV fight. I'm a little more old school, so I understand um, folks that maybe are in their 30s or, or even 40s that got to boxing late or, you know, the 20s and 30s and teens and whatnot. Uh, that's what I mean by a, a good TV fight. It just, it's, it's actually really important. It's kind of like a club show, right? The matchmaking at a club show is important because, yeah, none of these guys are going to get – uh, ranked top 15 in the world, but the shit was fun. You had an, it was, it was, it was worth getting in your car or walking, whatever. It was worth, 
you know, the price of admission is basically what that means. Anyway, I'll shut up. Let's go ahead and bring in John into the frame. What's going on, John? How are you doing on this fine afternoon, sir? Good, Chris. Good. Good to be on here uh, in the afternoon, Sunday afternoon, more recently after the boxing action for a little bit of change of pace. Uh, Just to pick up what you said, I was thinking before coming on, you know, how would I kind of recap this weekend? Because on paper, the matchups weren't necessarily that great as, as opposed to some other weekends. And in terms of performances in general of all the fighters, I actually don't think there were a lot of standouts in terms of what we were looking for from some fighters. But I did think what you said in both the Showtime and, surprisingly, the Matchroom card, in terms of the main fights we're talking about, as in modern parlance they talk about the main card, I don't feel like anybody stunk it out. So it, it ends up being a weekend of entertainment. The two cards last night both ended up just like you were saying it wasn't that they were close odds in a lot of these fights going in and even though there was a a big upset or two but the fights did end up being entertaining so the matchmaking was good and i would say that even you know for show which you thought more likely going in they might pull that off but i was a bit surprised that even the matchroom card you know the the two the two biggest fights on that card did end up uh, providing at least some entertainment value. So it ended up being a pretty pretty entertaining weekend, I would say. And as you were talking about the Armory in Minneapolis, always looks good on TV, gives you that old-time club feel. So unlike some haters out there, we've discussed this before, and of course for you it's personal being a native of the area, but I don't get why people have been da- – some people, of course not all people – but some people have been down on it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Obviously, you get good crowds coming, even when it's fighters not from the area, and you have a good TV atmosphere. So I think it's been a it's been a good thing for boxing. Times when we're looking for a change of pace, you know, I don't have a problem with the big fight in Vegas. We've had it for so long. Um, change of pace exciting. is the perfect way to put it. <laughs> yeah, it'd be right, nice but, to go to a variety of cities like this and be able to get away with doing that. You know. And not have to worry about selling five or 10,000 tickets, you know? Right. I like the change of pace. And even Matchroom, you know, the fight from, from the Garden, of course, one of the most traditional boxing venues in the world. It's always good to see. It's, it's still always good to see. So, yeah, uh, you know, we could go with the earliest fight that really worth of breaking down. I agree with you that the Truax and the, the Brooks – um, didn't think the Truex comeback was a good idea. If he wasn't in with a guy who only had nine fights, considering he'd been off, you actually would have said he didn't look terrible. Um, you know, we've right. seen comeback guys look a lot worse. You know, Brooks was highly touted with Derek James. I mean, he's only had like nine fights, so I want to say coming up, but he really, even though he was off a little bit, he still is coming up. I mean, the guy's only had nine fights. Didn't live up to expectations at all. Uh, it was my understanding last night in that fight that James wasn't training him anymore, but he started to fill, fulfill a bit of the potential. That's where you figured that this fight was dangerous for true action. That's the kind of matchups PVC with that deeper roster is good at put the, putting together. You know, they're, they're going to, and even the PBC guys say it, 
you may be a favorite in PBC when you get a fight, but but they're gonna they're gonna make you fight somebody a lot of times, so to speak. And in some of the other promotions, you don't see that because they don't have the depth. So this was one of those instances, you know, Caleb Truex saying, "Hey, I want to come back." You know, he'd been with PBC, and they they always seem to be like, "Sure, but you're you're gonna fight." a live body in that comeback, not somebody that's just going to take a fall down. So that's what happened here. That was kind of why I also watched this fight. You know, it was on the YouTube and the early prelims. And as you said, it, it was an entertaining fight, fitting the theme that I mentioned, the, the matchmaking Saturday for the Showtime card and the matchroom card on zone did end up being good overall, even though some of the fights weren't that close on paper going in. And, and that was a good fight with Dan Truax, Kind of bizarre, Brooks spitting out the mouthpiece a few times, cost him a little at the end. I agree with you, Chris. Yeah. The rounds in that fight were competitive. I, I did, I was leaning towards Brooks, but yeah. he, he looked like he was living up to a little bit of the potential. And I guess the fight was that light, heavy. Even if these are guys that, you know, that was just technical and they had ideas of fighting at 168 pounds down the road, there's such a dearth of American fighters that light, heavy. I think when you're starting to fight in that weight range and you get any kind of decent win, you might want to think of trying to fill in that vacuum. And, you know, we know PBC hasn't had many light heavies at all in recent years. So, you know, maybe Brooks, on on one hand, sure, you don't have that many dance partners, but a guy who's been a disappointment like him coming off a, a victory over a name might want to take advantage of that. So I thought Brooks looked pretty good. Like you said, I, I did think he stung Truex a couple times, not not real badly. Uh, Truex, again, for comebacking, didn't look horrible except for the fact that I had to remind myself a few times that the, the guy he was fighting was, I guess, 6-2-1. and one. So uh, big prospect at one point, but on the down. But, he, you know, he at least got Brooks going. So for, as terms of early fights, um, that was good. One thing, Chris, since you know you've attended these cards and things, I've mentioned this before, but it came up to me, and I, and it's really seeming logical to me too. You know, I've said it before, and to me, it's just realities. Like, not that it wasn't somebody who was a decent fighter, you know, in Martinez, but 115 pounders opening up a three-fight Showtime card, and even in Minnesota, you know, being, you know being where it was positioned on the card, um, they should transfer that to being like a walkout bow, even on the TV card. I mean, I've been saying that now for a year or two. I think it wouldn't make sense because on West Coast time, the smaller guys are generally in the Pacific time zone more popular as well. You know, But then you get to the center of the country, to the east, the smaller guys aren't as popular I don't. I don't see dragging a card on late for the people in person or on TV. You know, with with the smaller guys. I mean, if people like them, fine. But but I say put that after the main event. It would make sense to me because that's still much earlier on Pacific time. So, you know, Showtime's done that a few times on three fight cards. I think they hurt themselves. I mean, it's good to get the extra fight, but yeah, I don't know what you want to call it. I mean, in you know, an old traditional boxing. That is an interesting those. take. That's an interesting take with the, uh, you know, the time frame. Like you're talking about yeah. different parts of the country and all that. That's right. an interesting I mean, in the old take. Days, I never thought about it like a, that. 
Yeah, in the old days, you called it a walkout bout. I mean, if they don't want yeah, to Yeah, and they still have them from time to time. You know, like a swing bout yeah. that never had to be used as a swing will just go after the main event. Right, and the, the most famous walkout bout of all time was Roberto Duran against Jimmy Batten after – good boxing story – after Prior Arguello won. I haven't heard this for a while, but it happened. Duran, with, with his ego and pride, said he, w- he would never be on an undercard for anybody at that point. So it was the walkout <laughs> bout. But he insisted fighting Batten in the walkout bout. And after one of the greatest fights of all time, Prior Arguello won, Roberto Duran went on with the crowd walking out. And that was when Duran was down. You know, he had had some fights where he was out of shape. And, you know, he had lost to Benitez. And he was working his way back, which then it did end up, in that sense, being one of the greatest comebacks ever. Uh, but, yeah, he fought, he fought the – so the greatest – arguably the greatest living fighter out there is either him or Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, you had – he fought – he once fought in a walkout bout. So I think the 115-pound guys could do it. I don't – you know, they might want to call it something nowadays. You know, they kind of just repackage some stuff they call main card and, you know, early card and that kind of stuff. I mean, maybe they come up with a name for that, but that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I can't see dragging out East Coast cards or even going into Central time. Uh, you do much better having that bout after your, after your main event. And then, you know, people on the West Coast, that's still a good time for them. They want to watch it. Any East Coast fanatics that complain, oh, I love the, I love the little guys and things like that, people like us that follow everything, you're still going to watch it, but I think it would make more sense to give some people then the option to not watch that and not have their card go on so late in the East, be it more prime viewing times. Um, So thought that um, then, you know, Lubin, I thought Lubin was actually one of the big winners. Not that Arius is that good of an opponent, but he took such punishment against Fondora that that was the type of punishment where, you know, Arius, I think that's why Arius was an opponent. You know, he's not a puncher. He's not aggressive. But, you know, Lubin took so much damage in that Fondora fight. At least it was, you know, a credible enough opponent that I could understand him coming back on that. And he got him out of there. I I liked that because Arius can just think it out. He's never impressed me. You know, he got that victory over Hurd, but Hurd ended up being totally shot. So, uh I, I like the way Lubin just at least took care of business and got rid of Arias. Now, you know, Lubin, you wonder about the chin. So Arias wasn't a guy that was going to test that. But, but again, so with that kind of opponent, I thought Lubin was a winner because he took care of business and got Arias out of there. Arias is a guy that can just go to distance and think it out. And I was glad that Lubin didn't let him do that. That was one that I thought, could have been a stinker, and then it was wasn't in the sense that Lubin took care of business. So um, I don't know what yeah, your thoughts are on that. Yeah, he looked pretty sharp, but regardless yeah. of the opponent, I thought he looked pretty sharp. Yeah, I agree. I mean, his offense has always been good, and coming off that kind of beating he had in Fondora, which a fight that I thought was certainly fight of the year. That I, I had him as one of my winners of the evening, where I thought there weren't too many winner there were literal winners but not necessarily winners that really yeah clear winners right right clear winners that helped their stock so i thought lubin did that there and then in the showtime main event you know williams and uh adamas in terms of the way it played out chris it was a bit like you were saying uh you thought it might go 
you know, J-Rock, I, I didn't think he was really winning the rounds, but he got off to a decent start. You saw flashes of what he looked like against Hurd. But I want to emphasize they're only flashes. It was, to me, never sustained. And I never felt like he was going to win the fight. And, you know, Adamas had a vicious body attack. But why I didn't feel like Adamas was a winner, and I did see some other people say that, not for the reasons I saw a lot of people saying. I didn't think the fight was really necessarily that close. I personally didn't have any problems with the stoppage. I thought J-Rock was taking a lot of abuse, a lot of punishment. I thought, you know, he, he was going to go at any moment, and Adamas was just teeing off on him. There, were, there was nothing coming back anymore, really. And uh, so I, I, I did not have a problem with the stoppage. I, I didn't really have a problem with somebody that thought Adamas was, was really just about taking all those rounds either. I, I didn't think that there was anything that strange about that. I mean, I know, Chris, you, you, know, you know, you have your own take. You may look at it differently, but I thought you made an excellent point. I think you could give him a year. round, you know. I right, think you could give him a round, if not two. Yeah, that's agree. all I'm saying. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, I think you've made a good point this year, in the last year or so. I really felt this one <laughs> last night. Like, this, my take was, in terms of the, the chorus, the, the Twitter chorus, the social media chorus, which, which you get instantly, of course, in the modern world, which is actually a good thing. People can interact on it. I felt like they had big plus underdogs this week, and they got one, which, frankly, I just thought Kuzmano, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but I thought he was so bad, I didn't think he, I didn't think he necessarily would be one, but they got that one. He, you know, he, he stopped Konatsky. I saw they were looking for that. But then they were looking for J-Rock and Quigley, and I didn't see Quigley at all, and I didn't see J-Rock at all, and they, they didn't get it. And I, I personally think that was a lot of that betting whining. You know, like, like they thought they were going to have a big plus weekend with those three, and one out of the three came in, and you and I know. If you if somebody who bet all those, one out of three is not gonna one out of three is not gonna do it because you took the loss of the other two. So, uh, and then some of these people parlay these, which I don't think it's ever recommended, but we know a lot of people do it. So I thought it was some of that. Um, I, I did, you know, when people were saying, "Oh, controversial," again, me, controversial stoppage, and wh- what were those cards? And I'm like, "Hey, good effort by J Rock, and certainly the effort was there. He gave it all he had, but it was just kind of what." I expected, maybe I expected it a hair earlier, but not not too much earlier. I mean, J-Rock, you know, he, he's 33, he gave it what he had, but, you know, I don't think he's had it since that war with Hurd. I don't think Hurd's had it, and I think that's what you saw. He, he could do some flashes like he looked like against Hurd, but he couldn't, he couldn't sustain it. Against Hurd, he did that for 12 rounds, but he's not the same guy. Uh, and, but, but Adamas, why he wasn't a big winner for me, last night was, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't see that improvement from him, even though, you know, I thought he relatively easily won the fight. We didn't see that improvement from him, though, that we saw against Derevyanchenko, where, where Santos had him doing different things, boxing. And, you know, he took out Montiel early, so I thought, well, we may still see that again. But I didn't see that last night. I mean, he, I liked how, I, you know, he was aggressive, but – didn't see the all-around skill set that he hadn't been shown, but he showed against Derry Vyanchenko, which was shocking to me that he was able to do those things. But I don't know if he just felt like he didn't have to do it against Williams last night or, you know, the Derry Vyanchenko thing was a one-time thing and he just doesn't have that ingrained enough. But 
middleweight has been so weak. Everybody says that, and I agree. It's been so weak recently and actually getting weaker, not stronger, that people were, including myself, you're kind of looking to Adamas like, hey, is he going to perform like he did against Darabai and Shanko? And is, is he the guy almost by default now with all the inactivity? I mean, you have guys like Golovkin not fighting, and then he'll probably fight at 168. Looks like, you know, Jamal Charlo, he hasn't been fighting. He might be fighting 168. So there's a total vacuum. But I I don't think Adamas that performance last night, the vicious body attack, which was impressive, notwithstanding, I don't think that was what we were looking for out of him. Against he had the like opponent. a one-track mind in the fight. Like you yep. said, he didn't show all the other stuff. I did like some of the angles he took to land his body punches, and so I was impressed with uh, the attack, you know, what he chose to do as far as – well, not what he chose, but if you're going to choose that I'm coming at you, I'm working the body, eventually the head's going to fall. Um, I thought he was doing good stuff there, but you're right. Yeah. Um, he, didn't, he didn't move around much. He didn't use the jab much. He didn't, there was times where he shelled up and wouldn't punch back and just give away a round. Yeah, you're right. He didn't look as good uh, because it wasn't like an overall performance. Uh, but that body right. work, I mean – you could just hear in some of those shots, John. I mean, it ricocheted off the armory wall. Some of them. That was a vicious body attack. I mean, that was the strength of the fight. I mean, there's no doubt that was that was a vicious, vicious body attack. That was very impressive. But we didn't see that that all around skill set that seemed at that time to come out of nowhere. But I think it was obviously from Santos working hard with him. Uh, it might still be there, but I, I didn't see any of that. I did see some other people mention that. That I agree with, but I don't agree with the part that J-Rock suffered some kind of injustice and that fight should have been real close. I felt like that was gambling sour grapes, like you've been pointing out. You right. Know, again, DraftKings is in the Or like the, the over-under, you know, getting right. mad at the right. over right. Okay, fine, if you're going to do this, just wait around, you know. <laughs> Oh, okay. yeah. So there's actually like that kind of stuff. in there, too. I, I mean, DraftKings has got their logo all over the canvas now. So right. you know, that's good for <laughs> boxing in the sense that they're investing a lot of money in it, and boxing needs that, even if it's, you know, sports gambling sites. But, that I mean, when you get that kind of investment, you know people are doing it, So or DraftKings wouldn't be there. So, right. yeah, I felt bad on that one. And then – you know, going over to the DAZN card. Yeah, help me out of, on this because I only saw the main event. I didn't see anything else, and I watched it, but I was distracted. Yeah, the fly card didn't interest me too much, but the Konatsky Kuzmano. I mean, look, I knew I didn't really feel Kuznatsky should still be going on, but to me, what I'd seen at Kuzmano in the past, he he just frankly just wasn't good, and. You know, some people, this one they got right. They were looking at, you know, just the deterioration on Kuznatsky. And some people, in fairness, I never quite thought this, but there were people who thought this over the last, you know, five years or so. Some people just thought he was never that good. Uh, you know, it could be a combination of both. I, you know, I, I'm trying, but seeing this fight, I mean, he got he got hurt right off the bat. The, the punch resistance wasn't there. He he was almost out right off the bat, which that was shocking. But he had heart. You know, he recovered, 
wasn't doing that much. Like he didn't seem to have any snap or authority behind his punches. And every time Kuzmano was hitting him, he was hurting him. But Konatsky didn't quit. He had Sugar Hill in there with him. That wasn't mentioned much pre-fight. Sugar Hill was thinking of stopping it a few times, but Kuznatsky wanted to go on, and then he 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 did look like he was wearing Kuzmano out. It was a total wacky, you know, wild swinging brawl. And just when it looked like, you know, he was starting to wear him out, then he got in, in trouble, horrendous trouble again, and it looked like Sugar Hill was going to throw in the towel. And then just out of desperation, he started firing back and Kuzmano was looking tired again and he survived the round. He went back, they decided to let it go on, but then the next round started and Kuzmano just, just, just like a tough man type of thing. (laughs) Just, you know, it was entertaining. It wasn't, you know, your highest skill set fight, but, it was entertaining. There's no doubt about that. Anybody that saw it's going to tell you that. He just kind of came out winging like a tough man. And Kodatsky, again, the punch resistance just was gone. He, he was just like out on his feet. And they, you know, waved. They're finally, you know, they were throwing the towel in and the doctor was jumping into the ring and sat in for, you know, Kuznatsky. But you got to say for Kuzmano, just because, you know, guy in old terms, just a club fighter, to get a win over a name like that by KO, you know, on a DAZN card. Not that many people are saying DAZN, but still it's one of the boxing platforms in the U.S. That He, he was a winner. You know, he, he was a winner. I don't know if, it, you know, I'm not saying it goes anywhere, but but he, he was a winner coming from the depths he was at. And he, he was pathetic against Dubois when he fought him. Uh, got blasted out of there. And, you know, Dubois hasn't really been particularly impressive lately at all. Uh, but, you know, he came up with a big win. And for Konatsky, you know, he was in his mid-30s. Kuzmano's in his mid-30s. I mean, it's part of the sport, but I hate to see guys, you know, you hate to see guys, especially that age, taking that kind of punishment. Like, you know, Truax in his late 30s. Now, I've mentioned this before, but there really is something, too, and it fits with the neurology of it. I mean, if boxers started – really pushing their pro career around age 20 and just getting right to the big fights and forget these alleged developmental fights, which are just time wasters most of the time anyway. And then they got out by about 30. You've still got that danger and you're still taking damage, but the the results would be a lot better for the fighters long-term health. And, you know, when you see these guys in their mid-30s like that, I mean, they're, they're giving it all they got. And you, you know, you saw J-Rock, he's 33, taking those kind of shots. It's just, it's not ideal. Let's, let's just say that. Know what the nature of the sport is. But I, I'd like, I'm getting to where I used to be more like this. I'm getting back to it. You know, we, we really, we've, we've kind of gotten desensitized. You know, like they said, when George Foreman came back, that was kind of the negative aspect of the George Foreman comeback, even though he, ascended to the top of the mountain and got the real title, but it encouraged others that were older to, you know, th- think that they were going to have those kind of results. And, you know, that, that was the exception, not the rule. So that was a wild brawl. If you get a chance to watch it, it's worth, it's worth watching for the entertainment value, but you would think it, that's gotta be it for Konatsky. I mean, the damage he took even in this fight was horrible. And it was a guy that, you know, I think Hearn just had in there for, Kanatsky to roll over and figured he'd have a guy there for a card on New York who's popular in that area, you know, grew up in New York, but didn't work out that way. And it, the, the finish was ugly, which is Kanatsky 
taking shots uh, as he had throughout the fight. Uh, and he just didn't seem to have anything. I mean, it, he, he didn't even bring what he had against Demeregian. You know, he, he lost that one, but he gave a pretty good, a pretty good account of himself. It was not like that right off the bat. I mean, he, he just was getting hurt right off the bat and uh, just didn't seem to have anything on his shots. He gave it all he had, but took a lot of damage. And then, you know, the main event, that was another one I, for me, Chris, I thought gamblers because Quigley didn't, the fight wasn't a snoozer or anything, even though Berlanga didn't look great and I didn't think Quigley was really doing that much. But, but yet Berlanga kept moving forward. Uh, he never stopped moving forward, so um, he just wasn't throwing as much as I thought he should. And, you know, he dropped Quigley a few times. I thought he was clearly taking the majority of the rounds, even without the knockdowns. And then he ended up dropped him, you know, dropped him. And then in the tr- what was bizarre about the fight, though, the, the, the zone main event, was then in the 12, Anga actually comes out and starts fighting like he did when he was taking everybody out in the first round. And he drops he drops quickly a couple of times, almost had him out of there. And that was after 11 rounds before that. And you found yourself thinking, why the hell didn't the guy just do this in round one? I mean, Quigley wasn't particularly dangerous from the opening bell. But I, I saw some people who I thought were picking Quigley for the upset. Oh, he should have, I mean, he should have won seven rounds. And this is whatever you think of Chris Mannix, this was a, good performance by him in the sense that Sergio Mora was taking that approach throughout the fight. And I was listening to it saying, what fight is Mora watching? I mean, you know, there, there are times in other fights, I might think he makes a good point here or there as you have with a lot of commentators, but Saturday night with the Quigley thing, I thought he was terrible and Mannix was pushing back against him. And I thought Mannix was right about what was happening in the fight. And, and Mora was just still insisting that Quigley was doing all this stuff and, you know, Andy Lee in the corner, I, I, there's times with Andy Lee both commentating and in the corner, and it surprises me because he learned under Emmanuel Stewart, but I see him saying things that just seem odd odd to me as to what's transpiring, and, and you heard that too. So I was like, you know, what, what, what fight are these guys watching? And, you know, I thought the judges had the fight the way the fight played out. You know, Berlanga was winning the majority of the rounds, and he knocked him down four times. Now, Berlanga wasn't a winner because he didn't stop him. We all agreed uh, going in, including me, that, you know, hey, he's being set up for a fight with Hearn here to showcase Quigley folded Andrade in a, in a really bad fashion. You know, he's got to get this guy out of there early. And he he dropped him. He'd be hurting him, but he just didn't press it until the 12th. And then he almost had him out in the 12th, and you were just like, why did the guy wait 11 rounds to do this? He's much more effective when he does that. So, you know, I don't think he should go all or nothing where he's gassed out after three rounds, but he ought to do what he did early in his career. Like, you know, have a round maybe where he goes all out like that. Then maybe if he's got to pull back and take a breather, do it. But, you know, he, he's much more effective when he gets aggressive and he really lets his hands go when he, tr- he was trying to sharpshoot last night and that was not effective. Um, he made the made, he let Quigley hang around when he didn't have to, and he's been doing that in all these fights recently, as as we've all been saying. And this was another one like that, except in this one he opened up in the twelfth and he almost had him out of there. Uh, just just showed strangely that he could do it. But he he to me he got the win, but he wasn't a winner, not because the judges had it wrong or anything like that uh, with the cards, just that 
you know, this was a guy he, he should have gotten out of there certainly in the first half of the fight, and he didn't do it. And that for him in this situation was kind of an L. And, you know, I, I didn't quickly – it was spirited in the sense he hung around for 12 rounds, but he didn't, he didn't fold to the extent – he didn't go the distance, but there wasn't, there wasn't too much else there. There's another guy, you know, in his early 30s going on to me doesn't doesn't seem to make a lot of sense as we say these guys are going to make their own decisions but that that was my take on both cards did you get to see the main event at all chris yeah. and on the zone i did see the main event i'm going to watch uh probably late night uh when the family's sleeping i'm going to catch up on those other ones but i did think like berlanga started pretty good or started good or whatever, and then, you know, there was, like, three or four rounds that went by. It's like, dude, what, you know, what's going on? You know, are you playing right. with your food? Or are you just, eh, you know? <laughs> um, right. And then, you know, I don't know. That that was – it was an uneven performance, that's for sure. And ever since he stopped knocking people out, he's had a lot of uneven performances. And yeah. uh, whether that's just him hitting his ceiling, which it appears to be. Um, but, yeah, that that's that's – I thought you broke down that down really well. And we're sitting in the armory seeing these upsets like, oh, shit. Like, man, he's getting us seeing the little highlight clips and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, overall, um, I, I thought definitely he left some uh, food on the table and just didn't really perform all the way there. And then it's like, you know, with him and Oscar battling, even though they're both on the zone, I mean, Golden Boy's kind of month by month with the zone, but – um the Mungia fight would be a good fight, no doubt. Like, you might as well. But then again, it's like, are they going to be able to make that happen? And then Berlanga, like, maybe you'd go in-house with the, their prospect that they got up on the rise going for Eddie to get some sort of name, fight him in New York, have a nice crowd, get a name for him. Um, Pachenko, or not Pachenko, but uh, Pacheco. I don't know. I I would like to see that fight, but yeah, he, he definitely. Uh, like I said, I, just, I guess I'll just call it uneven. But I am looking forward to see some of that other action. Um, you know, once I get a little bit of time, and I just got a message like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm basically, you know, like, why didn't you? I thought you you do a podcast. Why didn't you watch the fights? It's like, dude, you didn't hear the first part. I was, you know. I was covering a fight live, so yeah, I didn't. I didn't right. get to watch both of them. I had stuff to do after the fight, writing a predictor, uh, a recap article and stuff. So that that's why I didn't get to check all that out. Um, that's understandable. You were at the, you were at the fights. You were at the fights right. so, in Minnesota, yeah, so, so that's more important. It's understandable you didn't get to see it, but I can fill that in because I had the double. I had the double screens up. Right. Uh, and I've and it's I've, different I've than both. just being. It's different, and, and I could watch the fights there, but I'm I'm having to cover it and keep track of it because I did get a press credential. So if you want to continue to get press credentials, you can't just slough off and barely cover it, and you got to do what you told me you were going to do. So uh, that that's that's part of it. But I appreciate you uh, adding that detail per usual. Um, really, the biggest fight coming up this weekend, you know, Jared Anderson, and now a new opponent. Uh, Charles Martin. Um, I was interested in the the what the you know the the other opponent. Um, I do like this Charles Martin fight. 
uh, he did have a fight that he was planning on, you know, taking, or I don't think it was actually scheduled yet. But basically my point is, what kind of shape is Charles Martin in is the key? Because I had heard, and there was some mumbling, that Martin was actually going to be the next fight um, as long as he got through his. But this was a better opportunity possibly for more money, so he took this. And now they're actually um, going to – they had to rearrange another fighter in the PBC uh, heavyweight uh, sphere uh, for an opponent. But um, what do you think about that? I do like the fact that he's going to Toledo. I like the – I mean, obviously, I'm biased with the Midwest, but I do like that fact. Um, I like the fight. Like I said, it does kind of matter, you know, caught up with Charles Martin or heard a whole lot about him lately. So I don't know if he's just been, you know, training and he's good to go and he's pretty much in shape or, or what the case is there. So that would be my only drawback. But I actually like the fight better on paper. Um, and then obviously, so you could talk a little bit about that. And then we'll talk about, you know, Canelo signing um, with the PBC uh, for a reported uh, three-fight deal which we can all use our imagination of what those fights will be. Yeah, well, on this Saturday, I, I like what Top Rank's doing a lot with the heavyweights. I'm glad that they didn't give up on it. They had that one card where they did it with Ajagba Shaw, and that was Vianello and Rice. And ratings weren't what it hoped, but it started late, and the main event wasn't quite what we hoped. But, I, but I'm, see, they didn't get away from it. I like that. They're going back. There's a good heavyweight fight leading up to – this Martin Anderson fight as well. Now on Martin, I think it was Keith Eidick that reported it. Uh, and he did have good information on it. Got that full understanding on what you've talked about. So we just got to evaluate how much this would mean. He was apparently, he was going to be the guy that was going to go against Havanitian on the Crawford. On the, yeah, on, on that undercard. And then this, uh, Apparently, they wanted him to go with this opportunity. It instead went offered, and then they put Victor Faust into that fight, and Martin's taking this one. So he, he's going four weeks ahead of schedule. So that's probably when you're making your own evaluation, that's the part you'll probably have to take into account. Um, that would mean probably he was in some shape, but he, he wouldn't be in optimum shape. But they're not kind of talking about that. But, yeah, with, with – for going four weeks early, he, he can't be in optimum. He can't be in optimum shape. It means he wasn't sitting on the couch, but he can't be in optimum shape. I, I like this one though too. Um, the other one was interesting. That, you know, he was going to be fighting someone who was undefeated. These are problems apparently, but this is still good. I'm I'm with everybody else. I like it. Regular ESPN. I like the exposure. You know, Charles Martin's somewhat of a name, so with the ESPN part that fits. And at least he's coming off. Got stopped by Ortiz, but that was a wild, exciting brawl where he dropped Ortiz twice. So, and you know, Ortiz is a legit top ten guy. So at least we're coming off something. Doesn't mean he's going to be competitive against Anderson. I actually don't think he will be, but it's credible enough going in that I still like it for ESPN. It's got a good heavyweight fight leading up to it. I like it. I think we need more of this stuff. You know, we've talked. This fits what we've been talking. You see, with this barrage of what PBC's coming up with. Uh, and then Top Rank's got the stuff on regular ESPN. They're going with what we said, unlike the old days where 
I mean, this is still true. More people watch TV, you know, streaming stuff now in the modern era in the fall than they do any other time of the year. But you've got the football. And, you know, the NFL dominates. Nobody can touch the NFL, like it or not. And then you've got college football on top of that. So boxing has finally come to the conclusion that let's go in the summer where you've only got baseball, which isn't what it used to be. And let's, let's just try to, even though not as many people overall are watching or streaming, that we don't have that football to deal with and it'll be a better spot for us. So this is all part of that to me. And uh, I, I, I do like it, but Anderson has amateur pedigree. You know, Martin doesn't. Martin was one of those literally project heavyweights in terms of where they, you know, made him a project, like took big guys from other sports, things like that. He he was part of that program that's not really going on anymore, but, but he was one of those guys. Uh, you know, considering that, he's had some moments as a pro, and he's got good size and you know, showed at least some power against Ortiz, who does have an amateur pedigree, even though he's older. But I just think with, Am- with Anderson's amateur pedigree and how he's been aggressive in getting people out of there, and you've got a big age gap here too where, where Anderson's the rare young heavyweight who has amateur pedigree, particularly in the U.S. So I think that part's all going to be too much for Charles Martin. And I would be surprised if Anderson doesn't get him out of there quickly. But I still do like this fight for ESPN. And I like the Toledo thing, like you said. Anderson, an American heavyweight who's looked really, really good, could be the next American heavyweight star. Good to have him get a headlining appearance in the hometown on regular TV. So that I, that yes. I like. And then, the, and then the Canelo deal, you know, I've argued with some people about this since it was signed because a lot of people were then saying, oh, poor, poor Bivol. Well, you know, let, let's look at a couple things with that. Um, they say, well, you know, Canelo ducking a rematch and things like that. But let's, let's look at this. You know, when you, when, you took a, when you talk about lineal, I mean, you know, Bivol's not, not lineal. I mean, Vitor Biev is. And I think that matters because if you look at old structure, like, okay, Canelo lost to Bivol, but Bivol's not the lineal champ at light heavy. So I'm just saying, like, yeah, if if he wanted to, and and I do, I'm totally in the school, and I think you've you've agreed on this, Chris too. Yeah, Bivol won the fight, but it wasn't exciting. He wasn't beating up Canelo or anything like that. What wasn't an exciting fight? So what I'm saying is like that. That was kind of like to me like an optional rematch for Canelo. Like, yeah, if he wanted to avenge it, uh, I'd wa- you know I'd watch it. I don't think it'd be that great of a fight. I don't buy this deal either that Bivol's just going to open up on him and stop him in a rematch either. Uh, but but Bivol's. You know, he's an alphabet belt holder. He's not, he's not the lineal champ. That's Peter Biev. So it's not like Canelo's passing on a title opportunity. Forget the WBA alphabet nonsense. Um, so I think in terms of, like, boxing history, that type of stuff, I don't think it really does matter. I think Bivol, if, if he, you know, really wanted to maximize his marketability, uh, you know, he, he's a guy who hasn't made any qualms about, I don't care if I'm boring. You know, as long as I get the decision. Well, you know, that's what happens. You know, when nobody wants to see you fight, uh, okay. You know, you could, you could take that approach, but, you know, when, when people don't want to see you fight and you don't have the marketability, that's on you. So uh, I don't particularly have a lot of sympathy for Bivol there. I think Canelo made the right move. Right? I've been calling for years 
that outside of the plant fight, you know, Canelo hasn't been maximizing his U.S. exposure. I mean, look at this deal. This deal is what that's all about. I got to say, I was right on that. And Canelo's making the right move. I mean, obviously, he and Reynoso, and, you know, like I've said a million times, I mean, Canelo, he spends all that time in San Diego in the U.S., you know, openly speaking good English now. Look, you know, he's been a pro for a long time. Time's running out. Got to maximize that U.S. exposure if you really want to have your, you know, your U.S. legacy really more solidified with fights that the fans are going to remember. Not being invisible on the zone. I mean, where, where nobody's seeing you fight. Yeah, you're getting getting paid well, but nobody's seeing you. He got that. He got that. So now you have possible Jamal Charlo fight. The Charlos, even though Jamal Charlo's been off for a while, he got good exposure on regular TV. He got good Showtime exposure people are going to want to see him fight. And, you know, they want to see Canelo fight, so that that's big. You know, then does he fight Benavidez? I mean, maybe he does. Same thing. You know, Benavidez, an up-and-coming guy, you know, just came off a, a pay-per-view headliner of his own against Plant. Uh, he's there. You know, I don't know if Canelo, Morel would seem to be too dangerous. And I was saying that Morel was too dangerous to me, for Benavidez to take, and it looks like that's going to be the case now. Benavidez is not going to take that fight. And I'm not necessarily going to fault him. I, I, I mean, I'd love to see it, but that was too risky. I, I just think where they were both out in their career that I thought Benavidez is going to take that risk. No, he's not going to take that risk. And, you know, we know boxers deep, deep down, if the money's there, they're not going to be a, afraid in that sense. But on the risk-reward, Morrell wasn't there. So he, I don't think he takes that. So, I, I mean, I figure Charlo's going to be part of, you know, who Canelo is going to fight in the deal, possibly Benavides. But, you know, we'll have to see. Maybe there's going to be one lesser guy in there. But this is going to bring his exposure back up. And, you know, PBC's on a roll right now. So I think it was a great move for him. Um, I think it is going to, in the long run, it's going to enhance his legacy. He's going to get back on that radar screen in the U.S. where, you know, with all the, you know, Mexicans, Mexican-American fans, among all other fans who are going to watch him in the U.S., you know, that, it, it's a, I think it's a real good move. I think it's the move he needed to make. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm really happy about it. It just makes sense. And uh, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, we don't know, you know, what the fights are, and it's not going to be Benavides and all this, and they're doubting him, and it's like, if he's if it's true about the three fight deal, come on now. Like you know, he he's gonna fight Benavides as long as Benavides doesn't lose or whatever. Um, I, I foresee that you know he wouldn't be signing a three fight deal and Benavides wouldn't be part of it. It just what people don't realize is, you know, you can have a handshake agreement. You could say, hey, this is what we'll pay you. Uh, to fight this person, this person, this person, but you can't guarantee future fights. You just can't put pen to paper and said you will. Now you could say I'm signing a contract to fight this individual fight now, but you can't guarantee it. You know, for the future, you just can't actually. So I think people are a little, you know, weirded out that way, and and, and you know, they, having Charlo off a two-year break. People are thinking, oh, he's going to fight Charlo, then Spence, then, you know, a rematch with Spence. Or, you know, one of these, I don't know. I think Benavides is definitely involved in it. And it is, 
it, the only thing I'll say about, I mean, I was kind of pumping the brakes already, kind of like slow down on the Benavides Morel as well. Um, but when, when David Benavides said, I don't know where you guys got this report, you know, it's like, well, we got it from your promoter, <laughs> actually, Dave, <laughs> David. Um, your promoter is the one who said this and has said this. But another layer to this is they signed a three-fight deal. Right, that's what that's what um, Benavides' side has said. That's what his father has said, and that's what uh, Samson has said. And they named multiple, several fighters in there, including Andre and all that. Now they fought Plant. Now the next fight is it going to be Andre? They want to go for Munguia, which makes sense as far as the most money right now. Um, now that fight could be difficult, obviously, right? Is Golden Boy, I don't know, the cross-promotional always takes um, either crossing the street or a cross-promotional always takes, you know, a lot longer of a process, and it generally doesn't happen. When it's two guys, like, in their prime ready to go, I'm not talking about a clear B-side as a quality opponent, kind of like uh, Charles Martin, whatever. Um, it happens. We've seen it, but it just does, you know, we're going to see with Stanonius and Ortiz and it happens, but um, it just, it is tough. Um, So we'll see, especially when, you know, if Ryan Garcia does ultimately leave Gold Boy, then you're looking at Ortiz and Mugia, like, are they going to even, I don't know that, we don't know, but that, that, you know, I think it is kind of funny for Benavides to be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's like, well, you might want to talk to Samson, the one talking about this. But the report was three-fight deal, multiple names involved. One has already taken place, Caleb Plant, which people wanted to see. So so we'll definitely see where, you know, where that goes. Any other items uh, that you'd like to speak of before you uh, uh, get you out of here, sir? Yeah, something you reminded me of, and I think it's. I'll just wrap it up with the Canelo deal, and then something actually I hadn't thought about before, but I just thought about when we were talking. First, I do think if Spence beats Crawford, they'll think that that's a big enough of a fight, and Canelo would want to take it. Figured he's, you know, he is fighting a, a guy who's been a welterweight coming up, even though Spence is a strong welterweight. If he beats Crawford, I do think Spence Canelo would definitely be on the table. Uh, I think that could be. And it's one been of the offered fights. last yeah. year. It was offered yeah. too. Yeah, and then here's the thing that I didn't think about until we're talking, but actually the more I think about it, it could be a, keep it out there as a wild card. You know, Dieter Biev early in his career fought for PBC before he went with top rank. You know, he's holding millennial light heavyweight title. I mean, if he beats Callum Smith, you know, he's going to be fighting you know with top rank in that fight, crossover with a Hearn guy, that fight's going to happen. But, you know, let's say he knocks him out. I mean, Spence is fighting Crawford. I mean, why why couldn't a, a 39 or a 40 year old Arthur Bitter Biev be a historical opponent for Canelo in PBC at that point? I mean, he wouldn't have that much value to top rank just fighting on ESPN Plus in the U.S. But he could have. And they would get a nice chunk of you know that money too if we're if we're right. just talking business wise. You know what I mean? Even if he crossed the street. He, they'd still get some money off of it, and who knows? You know, I mean, a lot of people think he's going to win the fight, so it could help them ultimately. Yeah, like if you had a beater BF, he's still got that hundred percent KO percentage. If he gets by Callum Smith, I didn't think he looked good against Yard, and personally, I didn't think that was much of Yard. I thought that was B 
speed or be have slippage. But let's say he gets by Callum Smith. You, you know, even if he doesn't knock him out, but he just gets by him. I mean, he's got the lineal title. Uh, you know, he's got other belts, you know, alphabet belts too. I mean, yeah, you come over to PBC, you know, Canelo's going to look at it. Of course, he's not going to say that, but, but you do have to admit he would be thinking, okay, the guy's 39 or 40 at that point. He's still undefeated. He's got the lineal light heavyweight title and other belts. You know, I beat him, you know, Canelo, Canelo speaking, you know, I beat him on a PPC pay-per-view out of that three-fight deal, in maybe the last of the three or something like that, if he went like Charlo, Spence. I for Spence sure think it'd be the last of the three, though. <laughs> Right. It would definitely be the last of the three. That's what I'm looking at because they're, you know, going to let Beater Biev, got to admit, they're going to let Beater Biev get a little bit older, but it might, you know, it might fit. It might fit. So I hadn't thought about that before, but hey, Spence is going to fight Crawford. So why count it out? Yeah, there, there'd be more value, just like we're saying, more value at that point, really, for Beater Biev to cross over than to just, you know, fight on ESPN plus against some lesser opponent. Because, you know, if, if him and B, Bivol were going to fight, you, you think they would have gotten that together already at this point. I agree with the people criticizing that say that. Yeah, you know, those guys yeah. haven't put that together. Uh, and, you know, I saw Cliff Roll make a point. He's absolutely right. I mean, you know, who cares about Beater BF's alphabet belt or Bivol's? Like, in other words, if they were going to fight next, nobody cares. Right, who cares about the WBC rules? Right, no, you're, you know, you could still be lineal. So, right, you still be lineal, and everybody would watch it. So, yeah, so it doesn't look like they're going to get that on. So keep keep that in, in mind as a wild card. But that that's uh, then about it, Chris. All right, you have yourself a good afternoon, and I appreciate you finding time just to jump on in on a Sunday. All right, Chris, great being here as always. Have a good rest of the afternoon and the rest of the week. And uh, when you get to see it, you're going to enjoy that. Konatsky and Kuzmato, even though it's not pretty. pretty. <laughs> All right, man. You take it easy. All right. Take care. All righty. I got to admit, I do like me a, Kuz, you know, a, a Kuznatsky fight. Um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I think that is pretty far-fetched what he just brought up. Um, and if it's at the end of the three-fight deal, then maybe he would just go right over to you know ESPN to do that. I don't know if that's how he's going to go out. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. But the whole Spence thing, I'm not saying I want to see that um, fight over the Benavides fight. That's not what I'm saying. I'm looking at it from a, a strictly a business perspective. One, like I previously just stated, it has been offered. It was offered to him at a catchway. Now, whether... They throw that catch weight out or not. Actually, I think uh, Spence mentioned it too, didn't he? That he would be, he'd feel comfortable with the weight. You don't know if you feel comfortable with the weight until you fight him. But my point is, from a business perspective, it would make sense if they, well, you know, they're going to fight Charlo, right? Because he's not going to fight Spence next, obviously, right? There's just no way. Um, because, you know, Spence has a fight in July, and or whatever, that's when Canelo's going to fight. So obviously it's not happening there. Um, but happening next, you, you, you'd make, if you were going to make that fight, you'd make it after, you know, this year for next May, Cinco de Mayo, because that's what it sounds like. It's going to be this September and then May and September next year, the three-fight deal. Um, that's been reported anyway. So 
you're not going to have him. Like, I don't know. Like, if he beats Charlo and then beats Benavidez, who is like the number one guy that people think is going to give him his toughest challenge right now, and it would do big numbers, you're not going to then have him face Spence after. Because I think it does hurt the believability that, you know, like I said, it is a money fight. Grab. You can call it whatever the hell you want. That is true. But if he were to fight Charlo, then Spence, then fight Benavides, I just don't have a big problem with that. I mean, those are some of the biggest, you know, the biggest money fights he can make. So, I don't know. Now, Spence has to get by, you know, a 50-50 fight. And that's you know that this is just, I'm not I'm I'm just speaking stuff, uh, you know, out there. I'm not I'm not trying to say well ah, Spence is going to get by Crawford easy, you know that type of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean the day and speaking of David Morrell Jr., he was at the fight, um, and he did an interview with the common man in uh, Rosen on a, a K fan, which is a very popular, uh, you know, radio station here in the cities. And he said that um, he will be returning in the fall with a target of November. Um, So it doesn't sound like that David Benavidez fight is going to happen next. Uh, A lot of people just want to report stuff like it's a done deal. Um, And like I said, this, uh, some of this stuff's coming from a promoter, you know, saying that this is going to be next. And and he said that before the plant fight. So, I mean, it's different to have a fight contract, like I said, and have multiple names in there. But he did say the fall, probably November. He's just been in the gym once a day, working out, staying in shape. Um, Depending on what the IBF does for Vladimir Shishkin, uh, not for him, but the Canelo thing, are they going to, is IBF at some point um, going to name Amando for the IBF? Because if you look at Shishkin, which I think that'd be a great fight, a uh, great level for Morel Jr. To, to face if he's not going to face Benavidez, obviously, um, because of but but the ranking thing. If they're gonna if they're gonna have the two number one and number two fight for Amando, and then you're in the situation where you're either going to get the belt. You're gonna if you win, you get the belt, or or you get a shot at Canelo. Well, then obviously, um, and maybe that's a step aside. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Who knows? There's also I don't. It is what it is. But I would say Vladimir Shishkin would be good. Um, you know, a guy like that Christian um, Mbili. Is that what it is? Mbili? Billy. That would be a good fight for him. Um, even Jose Uzgadaji, you know, a guy that just went the distance and, and, and showed up pretty good against Shishkin, actually. I know people are going to be like, dude, dude. But the thing is, it's like super middleweight's not a, a deep top 15, top 20 division. Now, you know, you could name five or six guys that you mix it up. It's great. You know, Fighting Andre, that'd be great. It sounds it sounds like the rumors, and they're pretty strong rumors. I'm not saying it's official that Caleb Plant and Demetrius Andre are going to fight. So that takes that off the table. So you know, I, I just hope it's a quality opponent like that to get some quality rounds. 
if that's really all he needs. Um, and experience, you know, experience throughout, I think that, that would be uh, key. And like I said, I do like um, – I kind of do like that idea of that heavyweight theme, although they put it on paper and it was quality on paper earlier this year, ESPN, it didn't turn out to be, you know, an entertaining, good fight, one more one-sided and stuff. But, you know, promoters and matchmakers, managers, whatever, they they can only put it on paper. What happens with the ring, you just, you never know. Sometimes uh, fighters and fights supersede expectations. Sometimes it falls well short. But to have uh, Mahmoudov, I think that's his name. He's fighting against an unbeaten prospect, you know, who, to be honest, it's not like he's he's undefeated, um, but and he's got a lot of knockouts. I think it's like fifteen and zero with fourteen knockouts. Um, but it's a prospect, you know. He hasn't fought anywhere near even old veteran type guys like Mahmoudov has. Um, I mean, he's fought you know Taco walk and you know like i said i'm not saying these guys are killers you know uh, carlos Takam uh last year isn't the carlos Takam even from you know uh, um a couple of years ago but at least he's got in you know he went 10 rounds you know so he's gotten you know that work in and, and he had to he had to win that but yeah the martin fight i think you could make it a you can make an argument it's, it's a better fight even if he's only had a half a camp um, with Charles Martin. But, you know, that is that is tough to say, it, you know, and maybe he's been active just in general. Uh, he fought, I think, what, in September last year. Um, so maybe he's just been active and then he, you know, he, he did already start camp. And, and so maybe he's in a better shape than John Tucker, Delonte Johnson, um, Abdullah Mason, uh, McCrary, a couple other guys, DeAndre Ward, uh, will be on that card um, as well. And I will say this, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what's next for Jerwin Akahas, Akahas, who looked pretty good last night, you know, against the guy who was there to be beat. Uh, Michael Spencer, that was, a, that was the no contest, correct? But he looked good in, you know, in limited action, but he looked good. I thought Shane McCallman, I thought he looked pretty good last night. He he definitely looked, uh, he looked good as far as just, you know, off off TV undercard stuff. Um, But yeah. Um, Oh, Bam Rodriguez and Sonny Edwards unification fight. Um, That's a great fight. I don't know if they, they don't have an exact date, right? We just know they have a, it's like a done deal as far as an agreement. Do they have an exact date? I don't believe they do. But either way, you know, the style matchup, uh, it's just interesting to me. And it, and it is legit. You know, it is a legit fight. I'm, I'm really excited about that fight. That's a, that's a damn good fight. We did hear Richard Hitchinson and Montana Love has been postponed. It was going to be July 15th. Um and I believe it was Montana Love that, that came down uh, with that injury, if I remember correctly. Uh, that That's who it was, right? I heard that last night, actually. Um, so, so, yeah, that, um, you know, it is what it is. I think that's, uh, you know, it, it sucks, you know, 
for, for Hitchinson, but because he did have, um, he could have had a different, you know, a different opponent. Let's put it that way, that he could have already been fighting. And who knows, maybe he would get hurt for that fight or whatever. Who knows? You know, I'm not saying that's just a done deal, but um, it sucks because honestly, like, I don't really think a ton of Montana love. Um, and I think, you know, I favor Richardson, you know, in that fight cleanly, but it would have been just nice for him to get, uh, you know, that fight done. But, yeah, like I said, Bam Rodriguez, Sonny Edwards, that's a really, really good fight. And, you know, Eddie Hearn said now that they don't have Canelo that they're going to go out and spend some money on some big fights. Now, does that mean in-house against in-house? Because for years, boxing fans, you know, were getting sick of in-house stuff. But now that we know that the platform and network deals that everybody has, it's almost like you have to do as many in-house fights as you can, which will help organically produce them across the street. Or or maybe not a co-promotion, but a guy's like, hey, there's no more fights for me over there. I'm going to go over there. Or an opportunity comes in the purse bit or whatever the case may be. Um, he's openly admitted that he doesn't like to fight both his guys uh, against each other. So this is a change, which I really appreciate. And like I said, let's give DAZN a chance to see how they, uh, you know, how, what they produce the last six months of the year. Um, clearly, you know, Showtime PBC is, is running away with this year. There's no catching up. I think ESPN, though, you know, ha- is, a, is sizably above, um, DAZN. Now, DAZN had a, a pretty good start to the year. It's just their big fights, their top five against top five, top ten against top ten. It's a little short. And now it's easy to pick on what they have per se, especially matchroom on paper right now, right? But they've had some good fights. And as far as DAZN goes, I mean, Ortiz Danonius is a banger. That's a top three, four fight on the schedule right now, that's going to be a great fight. And then they, you know, they, I just mentioned Bam Rodriguez and Sonny Edwards and Styles make fights. Um, speaking of Eddie, though, um, Eddie did send, I believe, a second offer to Dillian White. He, I don't know. They, they started, they mentioned a different opponent, and then all of a sudden Dillian's like, actually, I'll take that deal. What's the deal? I'll take it, you know. Um, so we'll see. You know, Eddie did kind of, put that out like he doesn't really necessarily believe that it's going to be um going to be the the thing D- here's from talk sport Dillian white has now declared that he's willing to accept the offer he's been made uh or he's been given whatever for uh, anthony joshua fight august 12th but said he does not believe aj and eddie hearn are serious about making the fight that's what he had said right Hearn is not communicating blah 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 but he does say now on boxing social that he, he declared now that he sent a contract to Dillian for the rematch after he accepted their offer on TalkSport today. They'll have a contract today. If Dillian is serious, then the fight's going to happen. So we'll see. We will see. Um, and, yes, uh, although it happened, I, I did – well, clearly Ioka won that fight. Franco, the weight stuff is crazy. Right now, there was, I guess, there was some debate that it was sounded like the the camp 
you know, the Garcia camp and whatnot, Franco, Franco camp said that they actually got the, the way the event was going, that there, it actually was going to be postponed or off, and that kind of threw them off, you know, mentally trying to thinking the fight's done and then having to get back, and that is tough, but you also have to be, you know, you do have to be professional there. Um, but after the fight, and Ioka did his thing, I mean, <clears throat> he, it was a great performance. And like I said, I mean, I thought Franco did all right, considering he was competitive. Like I mentioned earlier, he's competitive with the rounds, but I, I had it like 9-3, to three, 10 to 2, 9-3, to three, something like that. I did think Franco would win the, the rematch. Now, that was before he came in six or seven pounds over or whatever. Uh, but then he turned around. And I'm not ripping him for it. I'm just saying he, he turned around and now he he says he's going to retire, um, <clears throat> which is pretty surprising. I I mean shit, dude. Like, by the way, like <clears throat> he, he, I think he was talking about you know the mental health part of it. So um, you know, shots out to him. Um, I mean, he's only like 27 years old. Maybe he will come back. You know, I respect it. I respect him, you know, for that, but it does seem like maybe there's something, well, clearly there's something deeper going on, too. Uh, and, and maybe some of that was, I, I don't know. I really couldn't tell you exactly. And that Kosnowski, yeah, that underdog, someone sent me this, um, Kusamano, I think it is, plus 700. <laughs> That's pretty damn impressive. Um, and this is this is what I was talking about with Eddie Hearn, Boxing Social. He said, uh, you know, Canelo Alvarez, the PBC, Al Heyman, I think it's a good move for him. Now we have to look at uh, the huge pot of money for Canelo fights and bring big fights on the zone. 2022 is matchroom year. 2023 is PBC year. And that was the zone in general year. It wasn't just matchroom. But, yeah, I gave the zone the network of the year. And, and you know, it was more about matchroom than it was. Uh, the other way, obviously. Um, but yeah, even Robert Garcia boxing, there there was uh, there were some issues the past few days that even up to the few hours ago, time made us believe the fight was off. Uh, he was always been a professional, never had a problem like this before. We have been in communication with the promoter for a few days on how to keep the fight on. So, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. By the way, Morell was talking all sorts of stuff to Benavidez, uh, Ag, what is it, Agbeko. Um, he said, You're, you are the bitch. Maybe you should grow some balls and fight me first. Oh, you won't? Why? Because after you fight me, uh, you won't matter anymore. Punta. So there, I, was, I, I evened that out for you. Here's some crazy shit about the Japanese Boxing Commission has announced that a urine sample from a uh, boxer, uh, Ioka, from December 31st, contained trace amount of cannabis. That's not, I mean, it, it is what it is when it comes to that. I think that's, you know, it's a ridiculous to, to be doing that still. Uh, but I heard that the Japanese fighter, that they don't want you to, they don't want you to do, uh, they, they don't want you to have tattoos, which is like, What? Just going a little further into that Samson Boxing and Pro Box TV, they are joining forces to live stream monthly boxing events featuring South America's best new talent. That's what the Big Buzz uh, rollout was about. 
uh, or that's the headline, I should say. So just to clear that up a little bit, it's not a full-time show or all their fighters are fighting over there, but um, it is what it is. By the way, Katie Taylor has decided to activate her rematch clause to face Chantel Cameron against, or again, next, uh, the second fight is targeted for November, according to Eddie Hearn. So, wow, that's that takes some balls right there. Speaking of, Hearn said Ryan Garcia versus Regis Progray, we can walk straight into that next F Oscar, because him and Oscar have been going back. You've got Ryan Garcia. If he wants to fight for the world title, we can walk right into that fight. Uh, F Oscar, the reality is Oscar probably thinks I'm talking to Ryan Garcia. I've never had one conversation with Ryan Garcia, never spoke to his manager. I would not have those conversation while he was on contract. Somebody asked me my opinion on De La Hoya, yada, yada, yada. Um, the reality is Golden Boy will only take fights they believe Garcia can win. They don't think he can beat Progray because if they did, they'd be in touch. We'd be making the fight next. We're both on the same platform, so it's easy. They never mention Regis Progray. Uh, why? Because they think it's a tough fight. Yada, they'd rather go after Roley type thing. Um, Paul Magno says, uh, great follow, by the way. Benavides is passing on the Moreau fight for the same reason Canelo is passing on the Benavides fight again for the 1,200th time. Uh, folks, boxing in a business is a business risk versus reward. I still think he's going to take that, that fight, though, to be honest with you. By the way, um, Leonard Ellaby, Espinosa, like, it, it sounds like, well, there's for sure more coming with the schedule, too, so think we've had a great year and you think they've had a great year it's there's more coming anyway and by the another by the way andy ruiz has come full circle he now put out a video saying wilder you're next we're just in negotiations it's like well haven't you already negotiated this fight what do you mean you're just in negotiations uh but it does sound like there's a great chance that the offer is already there and it's just about you know, dot and I's crossing the T's. Hopefully, we get that fight. That's a that's a really good fight. Uh, this is Progray. Regis Progray versus Adrian Broner. Toyota Center, Houston, November, December. Uh, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. I don't know what to tell you. This is Lord of the Flies. Great follow. Jerwin Anakahas is in the ring versus uh, Soto. That's who we fought last night. Now, for the first time at 122, after a six-year Superfly title weight reign campaign, although this is presumably a one-off, um, as he stated, intentions to drop down to 118 after uh, the challenge WBA ban him anyway. Uh, Takuma, I think it is. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. That'd be kind of nice. Yeah, I mean, Oscar and them going back and forth, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, one of the biggest ones is, you know, the hashtag Lonesome Eddie promised Edgar Berlanga Canelo. Now he can't deliver like when he signed Mikey Garcia, couldn't deliver. No wonder Bob and Al won't, will not work with them. I mean, Eddie doesn't have a whole lot to say, man. By the way, matchmaker over there, uh, Canelo would be too soon for Berlanga. Munguia is too experienced, too. That's what... That's what the right now the current match room. Oh, this is gritty, by the way, talking about the fight that Hitchens could have had. So Hitchens didn't accept um, Ergush, Ergushoff fight because Eddie Hearn promised him Matias in August. 
couldn't sign him, so he made the Montana fight, Montana Love fight, which is now canceled. How are cats still believing him? He just signed Regis, Regis with the same promise. Yeah, it was a it was a Matias promise, and we don't even know if Matias is he. It doesn't even sound like he's gonna fight there now. Um, which that is wild, you know that that definitely is wild. I did put out a poll that still got some time left. Uh, what'd you think of the Adamus Williams uh, stoppage? Bad stoppage, so so, or I was okay with it. Bad stoppage, fifty-one percent, so so, thirty, and I was okay with it, nineteen percent. So you can you can take that for what it's worth. Chris Mannix, don't really agree with him much, but I do hear Edgar Berlanga, Jaime Munguia is the fight to make. Two young, undefeated, heavy-handed, 168-pound contenders. No network issue. Both need a big fight. Berlanga is asking for the fight. Matchroom, Golden Boy need to make this happen. I do agree with that. I do agree with that. And with that said, I'm going to get out of here. Enjoy the weekend. I'm going to take off out of town for a couple of days here, get out of the city, get on a Minnesota lake, which is like, you know, what we like to do around here. But anyway, like I said, enjoy the weekend. Hopefully we get a banger between uh, Anderson and Martin on Saturday. All right, take it easy. Like I said, enjoy your the rest of your uh, afternoon and have a good week. Peace. Once you become the world champion, I believe that you feel you have the upper hand. So now, when, as you fight, let's say you fight four or five years of straight survival, of the bullshit, of the whole bag, and when you come over here, you're like, you know what, I made it. I'm going to show you this. So I'm going to get any, every dollar worth of, 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 of what I deserve. Why? Because I'm the world champion.